Hello and welcome to the Bottom Up Skills Podcast. I'm Mike Parsons, the CEO of Qualitance, and today we're talking about the growth strategy of none other than Revolut. I mean, the guys at Revolut, they are a pretty clear leader in the neobank slash fintech market. So we've done a lot of work studying how they build products, how they build teams. We've got a great study uh, on our website at bottomup.io, so check that out. But today, we're going to revisit their growth strategy. We're going to do a 2021 update. We're going to get the latest, and we're going to see what we can learn from their journey. We're going to dig into some of the new product features they have, how they're expanding in different markets, and we're going to ask ourselves, are they up for the challenge? Can they transition into doing more than one thing in the face of really fierce competition? I mean, it's getting hot in here, so let's dig into it. Okay, so quick snapshot on the growth of Revolut. And boy, I got to say, I got to hand it to these guys. They've got some pretty serious growth going on. Let's start with customers. Now, uh, preceding uh, 2020 and all things that are COVID, we saw them ramping up pretty nicely. So from about early 2017, up until early 2019, they went from zero to about 6 million customers. Not bad. And um, good growth um, and, you know, did that across a couple of markets too. So they then kind of flatlined for a while um, in 2019 and then they kind of got going again and then they hit another flatline Um which was uh, obviously no surprise there. February, March, 2020, things really slowed down, sort of at about the, uh, roughly about the nine, eight or nine million mark. But all credit to these guys because um, as things kind of calmed down a little bit at the back end of 2020, and as we look right now in April 2021, they have hit 15 million customers. So if we step back just a little bit, that's 5 million customers um, since that six mark and well beyond. And actually they've done this only since 2017. So it's not even five years. So, you know, they've roughly been growing at about 3 million plus customers a year. Um, So the growth is pretty exceptional. Now, if we now kind of move across to their evaluation, this is what they're worth to investors. They have previously raised um, 5.5 valuation. That's $5.5 billion in their Series D round. So you're getting pretty late in the investing game here. You're not too far off IPO. And um, their last and most recent round, they came in at $5.5 billion, which uh, – is interesting because that was probably uh, somewhere in the space of uh, eight to nine million customers. So you can do the math there to kind of work out the value per customer. The interesting thing is because they've grown so much since that D series round of investment, the rumor is, and it's this is hot off the press, this is literally just a few days old, is that they are talking uh, to investors again, and they are looking at more than a $10 billion valuation. That's post-money valuation. So if you want to look at growth, you know, it's the classic startup gain, lots of customer growth, 
lots of growth in the valuation. So as a snapshot, 15 million customers, roughly 10 billion valuation. That's solid. That's really, really solid. So good on them. Now the question is, you know, they started off being brilliant at like sending money to your friends, maybe, um, you know, currency when you're on holiday. That was certainly the kind of early adopter innovator uh, segment they went after. They got that growth. But now uh, it's really interesting. Uh, Nick Storanowski, uh, CEO and, and co-founder of Overloop, uh, recently kind of shared the what they think their their mission is right now. And they're going to, this is according to him, and I quote, we're on a mission to build the world's first global financial super app. And uh, that's pretty bold and heavy stuff. And a big tactic in that strategy is going to be getting a banking license in the US. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Another thing that they've seen as they think about the US and we think about their growth strategy, how they're going to grow the business Here's another interesting insight that they've just shared and it's about going after a new segment, the small business. So you got to remember Revolut's pretty famous for being a very consumer focused uh, offering. So now they're going to start moving across into small and medium businesses. And, you know, the, the fascinating thing about that is that not only goes to helping them with their banking, I think, um, I think you're going to see them uh, do a full play here. Think about Zero or QuickBooks uh, for small business. I think they're going to. Uh, I think there's a lot of clues that that's the way they're going to play this. Uh, I've got. I've managed to do some research here, and I've got another quote uh, from Storanowski that I want to share with you. Uh, not only about small business, but how they're going to do it. He says. Small and medium-sized businesses are massively underserved in the U.S. and we want to empower them with tools to grow and scale globally. So this is sounding like Neobank plus FinTech plus, I don't know, Turbo Boost. And then here's a really good thing. He identifies um, some of the challenges uh, that they face. He says, tackling fragmented processes, high fees, and other banking pain points Uh, We've built an end-to-end solution that saves business owners time and resources to focus on what really matters, running their business. Now, nothing revolutionary here, but I always love it when a company is prepared to listen, to understand understand their customers and is really clear about what they face as a challenge and will happily put that up as their mission. So quite clearly... If we want to think about growth, it's all about the US. It's all about uh, small businesses. So let's break this down a little bit because it's not all like sunshine and uh, balloons and party favorites. So good news is for Revolut that they've applied for a banking charter in the US. Challenge is this thing takes forever and not everybody gets one. And it might not necessarily, even if they did get it, if, they, if Revolut gets a full banking charter so they can operate as a licensed bank, that doesn't necessarily mean success. And we'll come to some reasons why in a moment. But let's just kind of look at where uh, the complexity here starts to come to the fore. And I've got this big insight that actually – I think Revolut is about to go through its hardest period 
yet because they grew up being this challenger brand. They did a couple of things, one thing particularly well with, you know, currency and money transfer between friends, like this like little niche. And now they've, you know, ballooned into 15 million people. And now they've got to do a lot of things, a lot of different offerings, you know, from crypto to insurance to banking to credit cards, et cetera, et cetera. But they've also got to do that in a number of markets. So they're obviously revving up in the US. They're, they're revving up in India too. But here's an interesting thing. They have already launched, failed, and closed in Canada. They just couldn't make any money. Too many incumbent constraints, pretty closed market, probably very similar to Australia. It's quite hard to shake up the financial market in Australia too. So isn't that interesting? Um, like they've already kind of basically said, Canada, adios, see you later. So maybe they might have to do that in India too. The reality here is the game is going to be so different for them in growth. The reality here is that they've got a big play for the US and small businesses. They've got a big play here for a banking charter. But here's the thing. They might not get that banking charter. And even if they do, there are plenty others that have one too. And this is a really new paradigm because this becomes very much about product differentiation in a competitive maturing market, which is something they're not used to. They are competing with traditional incumbent banks, legacy banks, and fintechs. They're now moving into a more and more regulated space, which they're not really that used to. So there's some pretty interesting things happening. So Let's let's look at this. Let's break down their challenges in the U.S. Um, you know, Chime and Varo are the big leaders who are, who've been you know operating and succeeding and growing in the U.S. for more than five years. Chime, wait for this, has twelve million customers in the U.S. at least. They've also said, hey, you know what, banking charter well, that'd be pretty interesting, and Varo. Last August, already got a charter. They're the first neobank to do so. And check out this. Varo doubled its users in 2020. They're, they're nearly 2 million accounts, and they're like this really early stage company. Revolut doesn't even have a quarter of their customers and doesn't have the charter. And Chime has 12 million customers, and they're thinking about a charter too. So the real story here is Revolut might be a bit late to the party. They've played this strategy, which I talked about in the previous episode. They've played the what I call the front-end um, neobank, and it might be that they have realized that they need to be a full-stack bank, full bank, not working with partner banks to do the back end of their banking because they don't have a license, but they actually need to go get those licenses, those charters. But a lot of other people have them already. So this is a big strategic challenge that they need to do, not just in the UK, not just in Australia, but in the US and India and many, many other markets across 15 million customers. Plus they've got the expectation from their existing investors to make a lot of money when they go IPO. This is a new paradigm for them. This is the new challenge. 
they've shown that they can grow, they can build teams. So they have the capability to perform, to create high-performance teams, to build a great product, something that customers love. The question is, can they come and have a second chapter here? Because this will be a more strategic um, challenge and it will be um, a challenge of the size that they have not seen before. This will be massive for them. So it's going to come down to people and culture. It's going to come down to leadership. And we break all of that down in our case study that we did on Revolut, which you can get over at bottomup.io. Now, I've just done uh, growth. I am going to um, dig into all sorts of other new product features, things they're doing uh, internally with their people, with their culture, how they're doing their marketing over the next coming podcast episodes. So I'm really excited to share that with you. So I hope you stick around for this series on Neobanks, Fintechs, and Revolut. Okay, so if you're really getting into this kind of stuff, make sure you head over to bottom uh, bottomup.io. We've got design thinking, agile courses. They're all free. Uh, all totally open source. So jump over there to bottomup.io, grab one of those courses, uh, to yours to use and enjoy. And of course, um, let us know if you've got any feedback. Uh, send us an email at skills at bottomup.io. I'd love to hear what you're enjoying about the podcast and what you'd like me to cover in the future. Okay, that's it for the Bottom Up Skills podcast. That's a wrap. Mm-hmm.